Hey, good morning, Free Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Are you staying kind of cool? Is it nice temperature in there? <laughs> Man, I know coming in already at 7.30 this morning, I was already sweating. So it's going to be a hot one today. So I am glad you guys are here. You chose to come here at the early service. You guys are the smart ones um, coming in here so that you have the rest of your day. I mean, don't tell the 11 o'clock I said that. That'd be so crazy. Uh, but hey, I, um, I am glad to be with you guys today. Um, Anthony is in California with his family, enjoying some time um, with Susan's brother, and they're going to be in Disneyland for a little bit, so um, we're excited for them. We haven't even checked in with them. We've just let them have a week that they can just enjoy um, and be there with family, and so um, it's an exciting time for him. And then somehow my family ended up going to Disney World this week, too. So what the heck? I mean, they just, they just left us here. <laughs> um, well, um, I just have a quick, uh, few quick announcements for you this morning before we get started. Um, I just want to let you guys know that next Sunday, um, I want you guys to remember, we will not be having services for Fourth of July weekend. We want you guys to go and enjoy time with your family. You know, a lot of you guys um, have trips planned or whatever that is. And so um, next week, July 3rd, we will not be having services at 9 or 11. Um, So go enjoy your weekend. And then my next thing is our downtown preview services. We've been talking about this for a while now. We have secured a location at the Ike Box. Um, I think we have a slide for that. Yeah. Um, So we're going to be free church downtown at the Ike Box for our preview services. Now, I want to take some time to explain this because I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. August 28th, we are going to be starting a monthly preview service. And what I mean by that is it'll be more like a really big worship night that we'll be hosting, like Free Church will be hosting. So um, what I recommend is that you still join us for Sunday morning here at Sunnyside, but then join us in the evening for more of a worship night. There will be an encouraging message, um, but it's more of like a place for us to preview, to get a look, get a lay of the land, get to know our area, um, some gather up some interest from people in the community around us. Um, and I'm, I'm genuinely so excited about this. It has been a long time in the making. Um, Anthony and I and Tim Warnock have been working on this and with our assistant pastors as well. well. So we're really excited to unveil this um, to really show um, what we can do. We've had some great conversations with the owner of Ikebox, who many of you might know her. Um, Her and her husband have an amazing ministry that they run out of Ikebox and Isaac's room. Um, that we are excited to really partner with um, as we do this. And so there's been some cool conversations that we've been having um, about the future of meeting there, but also the future of knowing that um, our place downtown doesn't just have to be, you know, in one building. We are able to then minister to those in our downtown area. And like Anthony was talking about last week, what we've noticed is this vacuum of churches in downtown area. We feel that God has called us to fill that void, to fill a a place in that. We know that we're not going to be able to do it all, but we want to encourage more churches to join us and to um, support us in this. So anyway, if you are at all interested in this, being a part of a team, a launch team, a preview downtown team, we'll come up with a cooler name. Um, Would you talk to me, Anthony, or Tim Warnock? Um, We would love to get you guys plugged in um, as we start to really get to know what it's going to take to make this downtown service possible. So again, just check in with us. We would love to give you guys some some creative ways to to join that team. Okay, those are all my announcements. Um, I get to um, be here today. It sounds like I'm like never here. I get to um, open the word this morning and share with you guys um, in Leviticus as we finish out this series, um, the Exodus journey, the map. Um, as when we come back from our 4th of July weekend and beyond, we'll move into our next section of the Exodus journey. Um, but we are finishing the map today. And so that's going to be in Leviticus 26, 
the whole thing. So we're going to be reading through a big portion of this. And um, before we get started, I just wanted to <laughs> share something with you of a song. I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> here's my, play the tape. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a special song for you this morning. But I do have um, this song that has just been in my mind as I've been putting this together. Um, it's not really a song. It's a hymn called Trust and Obey. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that song. It's this, I was hoping that Ralph would be here because he would know. Maybe Dwayne knows it. Um, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey. The first time I ever heard it was at this men's group. Thanks, Eric. This men's group, um, we were all in this big circle, and you know everybody's probably like 30 or 40 years older than me, and they're like, let's pull out the hymns and, and sing this, this song. And, and I remember I was probably like, 18 or 19 at the time, and I remember they started singing it, and I was like really bothered by it for some reason. Like I, something about it just did not feel good. And I, you know, I wrote down some notes of maybe why, and I think part of it was like this idea of like there's no other way, like that phrase that it says, or or like all you're going to achieve is just happiness in Jesus. I'm like, well, happiness to me as a millennial like means nothing. Like. Happiness is fleeting. Who cares about happiness? And then um, the other part of it is like, it's the only way, like, otherwise I'll just be miserable if I'm a Jesus follower unless I trust and obey. So I had these thoughts in my mind as a young Christian and as a young kind of figuring out how um, the world worked and how God really presented himself and who Jesus was. And so I really struggled with this song. And, and maybe you've heard this song before. Maybe you, you haven't. Maybe you love the song or or. Maybe it's something that your parents sang and you're just like, man, I don't want anything to do with that. But either way, if it is that something, I hope by the end of the day, and for myself, that we'll have a new appreciation for this song, but also understand what it means to trust and be obedient to God. Because I think that's something a lot of us are kind of trepidatious of, of like, well, what does it mean to, what does my obedience line up to? And I think Leviticus 26 gives us a great idea of what that is. So we're just going to jump right into the scripture, Leviticus 26, and we're going to read through 1 through 12. We'll start here in 1. So if you have your Bibles, open it up, and I'll be reading this long, and that should be up on the screen behind me if you can't. If you can. If you can read. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So you shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bound down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths, and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So we're going to stop right there after verse 2. And God is asking for two simple things at the beginning of this. Now, this is Moses as he is receiving from God this sort of final piece of the law, the final piece that he's going to be sharing with um, the Israelites and specifically with, with the Levites as they lead the new priestly duties in this new, in the new temple, um, in their new tabernacle, I mean. And um, the two things that he's asking is have no idols, which is the first commandment, Exodus 23, 20, verse 3, tells us you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. And then he says the third commandment, honor the Sabbath, which is from Exodus 28 through 10. Remember that when God rested, um, that we, we honor this Sabbath. And this is something that God is telling from the beginning, right at the top here, he's saying, have no gods and keep the Sabbath. And if you do these things, if you keep to these things, these two things specifically, but also the rest of the commandments, but these two things specifically, he says this in Leviticus 26.3. The next thing it says, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, now here's where the blessings start, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase 
And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. Meaning no harm will come from your enemies. They won't even reach you. You don't have to worry about it because then he says in verse 7, you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply, multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. Now, his covenant with him was the covenant he gave to Abraham that then was redeemed with, or not redeemed, but was redone basically with Moses with this covenant of he will multiply you. Um, you will have children far and far beyond, beyond that will go, and he will remember this covenant to keep them, to multiply his descendants, and you shall eat, lo- eat, you shall eat store long kept. <laughs> Whoa, yep, yep, oh, store long kept. And you shall clear out the old way to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and you and will be your God, and you will be my people. So a lot of good news. If you can keep these two things, a lot of great things are going to happen to you. And he says these very specific things. He says, I will keep beasts out of your land. The sword will not reach you. You will have food beyond its harvest. You will turn and there'll be five of you that can chase down a hundred. A hundred of you will chase down a thousand. Nothing will be able to touch you if you keep these commandments. And what are the commandments again? Have no other idols and keep my Sabbath. Now, it's very specific why he chooses, chooses these two. First of all, the, uh, the idols. Well, what had just happened a little bit before this? They just made a golden calf, and they realized, hey, that was a bad move. Let's not do that again. So God is reminding them, hey, keep your, don't, don't do that again. <laughs> do not do that again. Because I'll show you in a little bit of what's going to happen when, when that happens. And then let my land rest. Be keeping the Sabbath when you stay in the promised land. So those are the blessings. Those are the blessings, and they are literally just the first, what, 12 chapters of this, or 12 verses of this chapter. When someone asks you if you want good news or bad news first, what's, what, what kind of person are you? Are you that person who's like, I just want the good news first, so then there's something that I can have before I go into the bad news, or maybe you like want the bad news first just to get out of the way, and then the good news will bring me back, or you have that like really evil person who says that, but they're like, actually, there's no good news. I just wanted to make you feel like there might have been, uh, just so I can tell you bad news. Well, in this chapter... We get a lot of good news, followed by a lot, a lot of bad news. In fact, the next chapters outline the five stages for disobedience. So we have the blessings for obedience. Now we have the five stages of disobedience. And if you're taking notes, I'll I'll be sure to get those stages to you so that you're able to follow along. Stage one is a but if then sentence. And if you have like an algebraic mind, that's really helpful for you. I know I do. I need like those like beginnings and ends. What's X? What's those things? I don't know if you care about math. Anyway, but if then sentence. So what he says is, but, verse 14, but. Those blessings are promised to you if you can keep it. But if you will not listen to me, I will do all these If you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do my commandments, but break my covenant. So, but if you do these things, then, here's the then, verse 16, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic 
with wasting disease and fever that consumes the eyes and makes the heartache, and you shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, meaning he will not even be able to look at you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. Very specific things that he said in the blessing just a second ago. He said that you will be able to harvest what you, what you sow, but now he's saying that your enemies will take it. He's saying that your enemies will come in and take all that you have, and you will run away in panic. So stage one, panic. Fear will overtake him. Okay. God, that seems like a fair punishment. I mean, we saw what you did with the golden calf. You know, we saw that you um, made us melt it down and put it in the water, and then we drank it. Like, it was pretty messed up. So I get it. Like, this is the first stage. First stage of punishment. Totally makes sense. But then he says, stage two. Another but if. But if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. Now, sevenfold doesn't mean seven times, like seven times worse than before. Sevenfold means fully, completely. I will punish you fully, completely, to the end. He says in verse 19, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. All right, God. I mean, I get it. Maybe the first stage wasn't enough. They needed a little bit more. They needed to see that their pride and power was destroyed, that they had nothing to be prideful about because they chose to be in disobedience. Okay, that's fine. Stage two, got it. Hopefully, you know, by then they'll figure it out. Stage three, wild beasts. Now, early in the blessing, it said that I will take wild beasts out of your land, but then we see in stage three, if that's not the case, well, what's the opposite? Beasts will come, and if you walk contrary to me and not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold again for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you. So he's been holding them back, but now he will let them free, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. Wow, God, that seems like a lot. Like, you decided to hold it back, and then now you're just going to just let it go? Stage three is getting pretty intense. Wow, God, that, that's a lot. That's a lot going on. Stage four. I know I'm going through these, but I want us to understand the process. I want us to understand that there's, there's reasons why they come in stages, and we'll get to that later, but stage four sword and pestilence. And if by this, so stage three doesn't work, by this discipline you are not turned to me but walk contrary to me, then also I will walk contrary to you and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins and I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. Vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I would send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, 10 women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. So not only are they making a ton of food with just the little that they have, but even what they make will not be enough for what you guys need because of the pestilence that will be in your town if you try to escape the sore that'll be coming. Okay, God, I I think they got it right? Like, I think, I think they learned their lesson. I think by then, we would know 
if this is, if they're going to turn around. But he keeps going. Verse, stage five. This is the final stage. Final stage. They're enemies. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. Again, we, we see that same phrase. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. We see in Deuteronomy 32, 39, it says, See now that I, even I, am he. There is no God beside me. God is telling them, there's no one else that can bring you to where I've brought you. So why even try to find someone else? Verse 31, and I will lay your cities to waste, and I will make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas, and I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. I want you to tune into that for a second. Verse 32, I will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations and will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Their enemies will be appalled at the desolation. I mean, we're talking about if when the Israelites are wiped out and the enemies come to take the land, it'll be like this like atomic bomb had gone off. And when they got there, like, there's nothing left for us to even pillage. Like we don't even have anything to, to start afresh. We don't have resources. We don't have the way to farm or to, to make things happen. Well, this is a desolate land. This is a lot. And I gave it to you rapid fire because I want it to be a lot because God is not playing around when it comes to this. He is not playing around, but let's remind us of something. Who is he talking to? If you remember what I just said a little bit ago, he's speaking to the Israelites. And this is at the end of this journey, really, that they're coming into. And they're giving all these laws of how this tabernacle will work, how this new relationship that they'll have. They've been following this pillar of of light, this pillar of fire. And now they're reaching this place where his presence will dwell. And all these things are looking up and up. But then he gives this warning. He gives this. He says, but if you can't figure this out, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen, Levites and Israelites, if you do this. But I want to make sure you understand that what you have right now is such a privilege. So he's telling the Israelites, these disciplines are for them so that they can then carry out what God has called them to do. And it reminds me of Psalms 23, which seems very opposite of what's going on. But there's a phrase in this Psalms 23 that says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as we study this and we realize that if we're in this idea that we are the sheep in this, in this story, and it says the rod and the staff, they comfort me. The rod and staff are not like a gentle little touch on the side that's happening as we're walking through. What they are is a a little hit on the side to, hey, you're not going the right way, buddy. And that's what's happening right here. And, and the Psalms 23, that we see that, he's like, it comforts me. Well, right now, nothing about this seems comforting. I mean, these are warnings that are far beyond, really, a lot of things that we've seen in Scripture so far. These are things that he is saying, here's the purpose, here's the plan, and here's the reality of the situation. Here's where you need to be. And I want you to keep it because... I know, I know that you guys are worth it. So we need to have that in our minds because a lot of the times we can think, well, uh, you know, am I the Israelite in this story? It's like, well, you aren't technically an Israelite because you weren't there. You know, this happened years and years ago. But what it sets us up for is understanding that what is being asked of them 
is simple. It's pretty simple. But we know that the discipline is very intense. And we know that sin leads to devastation. James puts it in James 1.15, the desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. And God knows this. God knows this. He knows that the sin, the desires of our heart, well, what are the Israelites desiring? They're desiring another God. They're desiring that someone else will, will save them, and they're desiring to not let the land rest. But they know how it went with the idols. I mean, we saw just earlier that they know that when they try to do the golden calf, it didn't lead to anything. But they don't want to let the land rest. But here's the irony of all of this. Here's the irony of this whole process. We've gone through these disciplines, the things that will bring us back on track. But here's the hilarious thing that I found in the midst of this. In Leviticus 26, 33, after he says all this, he says, and I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a waste. And then he says this, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. While you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. God is going to make it happen anyway. And, and how ironic is it that this expectation that's being kept and they couldn't keep when they're gone, it's actually going to happen. I mean, it's just naturally going to be when they're not there. The earth they created will rest without us, will rest without the Israelites. He doesn't need us to be there for the Sabbath to happen. If anything, we get in the way of the Sabbath happening. Now, this is a weird concept because for me, this was something that I never thought about necessarily of the fact that my, my idea or, or me honoring the Sabbath isn't something that like, I need to just like work so hard. Like, oh, I got I to gotta do this. I, I got to make the Sabbath happen. It's like, well, the Sabbath's already happening. I'm just hoping that you'll kind of step aside and, and let what needs to happen happen. Let the earth rest. Let what was happening around you rest. Let your body rest. Happen, Sabbath happens when it's people honor the rest that is required for the earth to thrive. And I wrote this little note. It's his world. We're just living in it. I mean, that's what's happening right now. He's asking them to stick to the Sabbath, but also knowing that I just need you to, to honor what I've created. I need you to honor that what we're doing here, it needs to have some time, just as much as it need when I first made it and we stood back and we said, okay, this is good. Let us rest on this day. When we take time to honor the Sabbath, we are joining in the oldest running tradition, a day to rest, a day to look back on the week and the work that we did, just as God did when he created it all. Now, I'm focusing on the Sabbath so much because I think there's a crucial piece of this and a real challenge in the midst of all this. Obviously, these disciplines are intense. Obviously, the blessings are great and we need to be obedient. But, but the reason he focuses so much on the Sabbath is because it's something that I think is, needs to be honored, not just in this time, but in our time as well. And I know for us, a lot of us, you know, if we've grown up in church or if you haven't, you might have heard of this word Sabbath or what it means, and, and, and maybe you've honored it at some point. But what I want to challenge you with is take time 
to rest. Take a Sabbath. And, and I was like, well, I go to church on Sunday. And, well, a lot of you guys are, like, volunteering and working. And, and actually, Sunday is a, a really big day. And, and so I want to challenge you with this. I want you to go from here and be able to take a day of the week where you can just rest. And I don't know what that means for you. For me, it might mean something totally differently for you. Um, but stay in. Go out to somewhere restful. Don't go to, like, a theme park or something like that where you're running around. But there is, there is power in taking time for your body to just decompress. We'll call it that. To decompress, to look back at the week and say, we got a lot of work done. Let me rest up so we can get ready for what's coming next. And maybe some of you have already taken this time to do that, where you're taking a Sabbath, a specific day where this. But I want to encourage you to take it to the next level. I mean, turn your phones off. Turn anything that's distracting off. Just take a day where you're able to just sit and to be in the presence of the Lord and to be around his creation and see as the world rests around you and takes its breath. I mean, that's such a beautiful picture that I have in my mind of this like idea of like the earth breathing. I mean, that, that seems strange and kind of like, ooh, he's kind of new agey. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's exactly happening, but I, I do believe that the earth as a creation needs us to be able to give it time to 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 get back to where it was. I mean, we read in, the, in Leviticus just a little bit ago about how when they were farming, they would do seven years or five years of farming, and then they would take a year to rest. They would let the land rest, and then they'd start over again. And these are practices that we still even see today because we see, hey, God actually kind of had it figured out when it came to agriculture, oddly enough. Um, and we're able to let the ground rest and, and rejuvenate and, and get all its nutrients back. So then, then it's able to harvest, uh, to when you sow seed and the harvest will be plentiful the next year. And the same thing applies to our own souls. We need to take time to let our soul rest, our heart rest, our bodies to rest, our minds to rest, so that we're able to take on the next thing. So do you hear me today? Do you hear that challenge? Are you able to find time, talk with your spouse, talk with your family, figure out what that looks like? where you're able to just rest. And you're probably thinking about, like, I have no time in the day. I literally work 17,000 hours a week, and I, I barely can even eat dinner when I get home because I get there at, you know, 12 o'clock at night. I get it. All of you guys have crazy lives. But, man, why not all the more reason to find space where you're able to do that? So that is my challenge for you today. Would you guys take that, pray on it, figure out how, can you, how you can do that to dedicate time to God so that he can show you what it means to be redeemed. Because after all the bad news in Leviticus that we just read, all the disciplines, all these horrific things that will happen if we don't keep to these commandments, God has one more but. <laughs> that sounded weird when I said it out loud. He has one more, he has one more but to say. <laughs> A but if sentence where he is able to, to say, hey, all this, all this is going to happen if you do it. But I want to tell you about something. I want to show you something about my true character. Because all these other gods that you're reaching out to, they're not going to give you this same thing that I'm giving to you. They haven't even. I mean, look where I've brought you already, but I want to, I want to focus in on this last little piece in Leviticus 26.40. We'll call it the path of restoration. So here's what God is saying. If you can't keep to these, here's what's going to happen. But if at any point they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that have committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then, 
then I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So this is the same phrasing that Moses used when the golden calf is being made, and he's, he's pleading with God to say, save my people. And what he tells me, he says, God, remember your covenant. Do you guys remember that? Remember your covenant that you made with our forefathers. You told us that you were going to bring us here. Do not forget us. And God uses the same phrasing right here where he says, I will remember the covenant I made with Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. I will remember what I have promised you because I know that the promise I have for you is good. And I know that you are the ones to be chosen to do this. So I will remember if you are willing to come to me and say, hey, I messed up royally. And he keeps using this phrase of, I will walk contrary to you. And this image in my mind of like these kind of two dueling guys that are just like stepping out and, you know, about to, to turn back at each other and, and shoot their pistols. It is this idea that God can't even look at them when it's happening. But he says, if you are willing to step back and turn to me, I will be there and I will turn back to you. And I will remember the promise that I made with you. Verse 43. But the land shall be abandoned by them, by them, and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. So he's making that happen. And they shall make amends for their iniquity, because they spurned my rules, and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. So what is he saying? He's saying, I will have mercy on them even though they're in their enemy camp and they are in a place where they are not welcome, they're at a place where they are surrounded by those who want to injure them, I will find, have mercy on them, I will restore them, I will save them, but I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God, I am the Lord. I love the way God tells this to Moses. He's telling Moses that at any stage of any of these five stages, there is redemption. And he goes through this list as he's explaining this redemption story, and he's calling back to these older disciplines. So he's saying, hey, if you made it to stage one, and then you figure it out, and then you're able to to redeem and, and come back, I will be there for you. But hey, if you make it to stage three, same thing. Hey, and if you're on stage five and you feel like there's no hope for you, same thing. You just turn around and I will be here to restore you. I am the Lord, a God of redeeming power. He doesn't, he's telling Moses that it doesn't matter how far down this list you are. He's telling Moses that, that his, his people, the Israelites, are worth redeeming at any stage. But this is something that isn't just for the Israelites. This isn't something that's just for this people group that he's only going to save them. We see that this redemption power goes far beyond this book of of Leviticus and throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament in the life of Jesus, we see him already redeeming people. And maybe you came here today and you thought, there's just no way I'm too far down the list. There's no way that God could love me because I'm just too... I'm too far gone. I'm, t- I'm too much into this, this, this habit, this habitual sin, this, this life-sucking part of my body, this, this part of me that just cannot figure out how to find redemption. And, and I, I'm thinking to myself, or you're thinking to yourself, that there's just no way God can understand what I'm going through. There's no way that anyone around me will understand what I'm going through. I'm, I might not be able to, but I know someone who does. I, and, and, and he's asking you something today. 
And if you feel that today, and God is putting something on your heart, he's asking you, are you ready to receive what I have for you? Are you ready to make a change, to turn around so that we're not running contrary to each other anymore, that we're able to see each other and to see, hey, yeah, you got a lot of crap, but everybody's got a lot of crap. And God is saying that my redemption goes far beyond that. I'm able to reach in and take that out and bring you a peace, bring you a joy and bring you a salvation that comes through me and me alone, not through these other idols that you may see around your lives that are consuming you. You are not too far gone. You are not lost. And you are worth redemption. You are so worth what God has for you today. So if you're feeling that today, we're just going to take some time, and the worship team's going to come up. I know we're running kind of short today, but I, I want us to focus in on, on what, this, what this means, what this means for us. Because just as much as for the Levites, as they found that they were not going to run contrary to that, knowing that these disciplines were ahead of us, so us can look at that and say, God, I don't want to experience these things away from you. I don't want to experience this idea of you walking contrary to me. I don't want to be someone who, who lives in this world where you are not right next to me, you're not right by me. And, and what we see through his son, what we th- see through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that this became a full access two-way street that we have now, this vertical relationship where now there isn't all these things that we have to go through. And and I know we spent so much time on this Jesus guy, but I'm telling you, we won't stop talking about this Jesus guy because the only reason I'm here today, the only reason I'm here today is because I know that this guy, Jesus, has made a change in my life. And I know that what he has for me, he has for all of us. And I know that what he has done for me, he has done and can do for any of us. And so I want to offer you guys today that if you are in a place where you feel like, man, I, I just feel like it's, there's no hope. There's no hope in my life. There's no, there's no place for me to go. I'm telling you right now, there is, because those Israelites, I'm telling you, man, they messed up, but God gave them a foolproof plan, that's hard to say, to be able to reach him again. And he told them, I don't care how far. I don't care how far you've been. I don't care how much you feel like you are away from me. I'm telling you right now, if you're willing to step back and say, hey, God, I messed up. Can you help me through this again? He will be there on the drop of a hat. I'm telling you what. I mean, it is something that, that when we experience the presence of our God, it is like nothing else. So we're going to take some time to pray. And before I do that, I just want to bring up this, this song that I was talking about this morning. The song, Trust and Obey. So as I was studying this and, and, and getting into this scripture and this song came to my mind, I was like, well, I want to know a little bit more about this song because maybe there's a weird reason why I don't like it. Maybe it's written by evil people. I don't know. <laughs> and, and what I found was in 1880, somewhere between 1880 and 1887, during kind of the prime of um, Dwight L. Moody's revivals, I don't know if you know anything about those, these revival um, time frame where these just incredible events were being were happening um, through this guy, Moody, who now there's a school in Chicago. Anyway, this whole thing. During one of these revival notes, during a testimony night, um, a young man stood up, and he, he had just sort of became a new believer. He was kind of figuring this out, what he wanted to do. And as they were having this time where he was sharing about his life, there was a phrase that he said that you can imagine what he said. He said, I don't know for sure. Like, I don't know exactly what God's doing in my life. I don't know exactly how this all works. I know that I'm experiencing something. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to trust, and I'm just going to obey. 
And the worship leader at that event wrote that little line down. I was like, well, that's a good line. That could be a song. And then it got put to this, this song. And, and as I was thinking about it, the, I could get so caught up in the, the little pieces of it, the nuances of like, well, that's kind of a weird way to say that. That seems so strange, just like with any song. But what I missed is the main message of, of why he wrote it down. Why did this worship pastor think that this was like the greatest line ever? Because it's simple. It's simple. All you need to do is trust and obey. And at first, I was like, that seems like a lot. But when I think about it, man, it's not. If, if I can just, if I can understand what God is calling me to do and calling me to be, and if I can say, okay, God, I'm good with that, well, then you will experience joy. You will experience this happiness in Jesus that he's talking about because then you understand what it takes to be with him, what it took for these Israelites to be in communication with him. And now that we get to experience this through Jesus and that we're able to experience his love and what he has for us. So this song has a new meaning for me. It's given me a a better perspective on on what it means to trust and obey. Because he's not going to steer you wrong. His word does not return void. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It won't return to him with nothing. There is a purpose to what he's saying, and it will always succeed in what it is he's trying to do. So let's reap the benefits of being obedient, the benefits that we saw in this beginning of the scripture, and know that when we fail, when we can't meet that expectations, we are never too far away from God to save us. We are never too far away from his Holy Spirit to bring correction and for Jesus to come and to save us, to bring us back to where he is. Now, here's not what I'm saying today. I'm not saying like, you know, if you stole something, you lost your, your relationship with Jesus. What I'm telling you is that we all are in places where we have not felt or not been in communication with Jesus or, or, or felt like we were so far away. But I'm telling you, he is right there with you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As we close this out with this idea of, of being an obedient people, being a, a people who are obedient to his spirit, I, I want to challenge you to be obedient to his spirit right now because you don't have to wait. You don't have to go home and, and figure this out. There is something enduring when we are able to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. And, and if you've never experienced that, I want to challenge you today to to open your heart to what the Holy Spirit has for you today. And I don't know what that's going to look like. It might be something where you feel the need, I just need to go pray with someone. Hey, I need to to spend some time with this person. Or or maybe you had a vision for this week of, of someone you need to interact with or something that you need to do. I want you to be obedient to the Spirit today. Be obedient to what He's calling you to do. We're going to have some of our leaders up here um, that'll be here to pray with you if you just need some some time to to even process through what that looks like. Um, But I challenge you with that today. Be obedient. Be obedient to what God is calling you today. Father, we lift this time up to you. We ask the Holy Spirit, you would begin to intervene in our hearts. We ask the Holy Spirit, you would be the one that our focus is on as we close out this service. We want to hear from you today. We want to know what it is to be a follower of you. We want to know today what you are calling us to do, and we want to be obedient to your word. Father, I pray that you would bring healing today. Father, I pray that you would bring 
restoration today. I pray, God, that you would bring a word to those who are in a place where they feel so alone. Bring a word to those who are feeling as though the hope that they have is lost. God, would you restore hope today? God, would you restore peace today? Restore, God, a, a, a perspective of looking towards the future and knowing that your hand is over it, that you have gone before us. Father, we know that you are good. Father, we know that you are there for us. Remind us today of your goodness. And in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?